Okay. The Sunday school will uh, retire to their, their various rooms. Praise God for our Sunday school teachers and our Sunday school children. This morning we're going to continue in Second uh, Corinthians and um, God willing, I intend to finish chapter 7 this morning. And um, this has been our fourth message and uh, I've had a, a great feast in this chapter 7 of Second Corinthians. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick up at verse 13 and we'll read to the end of the chapter in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and commencing at verse 13. For this reason we have been comforted and besides our comfort we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. Trust God will add a blessing uh, to his word this morning. I'm sure if you're like me, we all love good stories, right? My idea of a good story is where it ends well. It has a happy ending, a peaceful ending. That's my idea of a good story. Well, here in chapter 7... Here in chapter 7, a huge part of the story of the Apostle Paul and the Corinthian church, it reaches a climax. A climax with a good, positive and happy ending. But the comfort and joy ending, which is all about, is really not the first time this has popped up in this letter to the Corinthian church. Matter of fact, it began all the way back when Paul first started penning this letter in chapter 1. And let me read that to you. It's in verses 3 to 11. Where Paul began his letter with this. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Do you hear that? Referring to God as a God of all comfort who comforts us all in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I think if you add up all the times that comfort and comforted are there, you'll get the point that God is a God of comfort. And now here in chapter 7, this section ends with how it begun, joy and comfort. But as we have seen, the apostle was at this state or stage of his journey with his church, he, he was in a sorry state of mind. As you know, he was waiting 
for Titus to return from the Corinthian church whereby they could meet him, he could meet Paul and bring him news about these recalcitrant believers in Corinth because that's what they were. But we have noticed that amidst his trials, Paul's trials and afflictions, he still had confidence in God and we see, saw that in verse 4 of this chapter and this confidence that he had gave him great comfort even amidst all the trials. And because of this, what we've done is we've kind of tried to follow Paul, as we're exhorted to in Scripture, as our mentor, as our example for, of, of what to do and how to respond when we are hit with trials and afflictions in life. And we have seen how he was comforted by God through God's people. We first looked at the fact that he received comfort from God through confidence in his people. Then we saw that he received comfort from God through responses of his people and we had two messages on that and we ended up last week looking at the primary response of the people of God in Corinth was that they repented, they turned around from their wayward ways and from their disloyalty etc. to the Apostle Paul and they repented of their sin. And now in this last section, we will see that Paul received comfort from God through the ministry of his people. This is, goes from verses 30 to 16 that we've read this morning. Now just back up here a little bit and trying to engage your minds. No doubt you've been in company of some people or one person or maybe more at some stage where you discover that their emotional state of mind or their mood that they're in is contagious. This will happen on numerous occasions. Our mood, actually, we all have moods, our mood swings in all sorts of directions owing to the company that we keep it does. It really affects our mood. For example, you get a person who is overcome with grief about some devastating circumstance and his, he or she shares their story with you and, and tells you about what has happened to them, you being the compassionate person and sensitive to the situation, his or her grief soon brushes off onto you, right? Well, that's how it should be because as believers we're meant to be compassionate, right? To those who are hurting. And so it's okay to be compassionate. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, as those who, he says, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness. But this contagious mood shift can also be negatively bad. Where if you spend enough time with depressing negative people before long, that also brushes off. You become like them. These folks are really difficult to be with. And usually you end up not wanting to spend too much time with them because you know how their mood affects you and it's hard work. And of course the opposite of negative depressing company is also very true. You see, no matter where, it is contagious. It is contagious. Proverbs 17 verse 22 kind of puts the two together, the extremes if you like, together and this is what Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful heart is good medicine but a broken spirit dries up the bones. I love that, I really do. 
Now, I know what kind of person I would rather be with. His by bones are dry enough, thank you very much. I, don't, I, want to, I want to give and receive more of that joyful heart kind of medicine. I'm sure you do as well. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, as he's been coined, once wrote, When the heart is full of joy, it always allows its joy to escape. It is like the fountain in the marketplace. Whenever it is full, it runs away in streams. End quote. When joy overflows, folks, it has a tendency to sweep others along in its path. And I just love being with those kind of people, aren't you? The joy is contagious. Matter of fact, I would call it it's a ministry of encouragement where believers are concerned. We are called to encourage one another, are we not? Hebrews 10.25 says, Encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's big time room for encouraging one another as believers. Brothers and sisters, there is so much negative stuff going on in our world, in your world, in my world, in every other sphere you can think of today that we need large doses of comfort and joy. We really do. We need the encouragement of joy that we can bring to one another. We really do. Well, here in our text, we see the effect of what a joyful heart can do for another. Already Paul, as we know, was, was comforted immensely with, with this response of repentance by the Corinthians. He was over the moon on that kind of thing. Verse 13 says, if we read our text, for this reason we have been Comforted. What he's talking about for this reason, for the news that Titus brought back about how the Corinthians had turned from their wayward, disloyal and recalcitrant ways toward the apostle. They had turned from that, they repented toward God and they longed to see Paul face to face so they could discuss all these things. There was a, a reunion, a restoration of relationship really expressed to Titus toward Paul. And so Paul says in verse 13, that for this reason we have been comforted. For this reason we have been comforted. This word comforted is the word parakaleo, which has the idea in this context of being encouraged by their repentance. In other words, this news had come alongside him, had become part of him, come alongside of him, and had put an end to his depressed, sorrowful state of mind. But now, That's not all. But now his state of mind is catapulted temporarily into a new height. It happens like that, you know. It happens like that. What we see here in the text, Paul the Apostle receives a massive injection of joy or of chara as the Greek says. Chara, it kind of takes over and drowns out his prior sad day, bad day. Emotions. It doesn't say that Paul was up in the clouds and in charis state all the time, by the way, you know. That's why God created emotions. We can have ups and downs. That's how it is. That's how we're wired. And right at this time, Paul was catapulted into 
10 out of 10 as far as joy was concerned. He'd been sorely afflicted and depressed, but now he's lifted out of the valley and he's now on a mountaintop. He's full of joy. But please understand that this heightened temporary emotion on a human level, what was it a result of? It was a result of circumstances just like what plunged him into the valley. As his valley experience was triggered by the Corinthians and their wayward disloyal conduct, so was their fullness and joy triggered by these very same people as well. You see, folks, God works through people to bring about comfort and joy. He longs, and he longs for us to know that and experience that while we serve him. Yes, we can get comfort and joy by us personally just reading the scriptures and understanding truth about salvation, absolutely. But there are times when he can catapult us even further and he does that through people. The Lord knows we need help and encouragement. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. And we may think, oh well, that is me. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're to be on cloud nine all the time. The Lord knows we need help and encouragement to rejoice in him like that. He does. So what does he do? He providentially arranges people and circumstances both to test us and to lift us out of the valleys. And here is a classic example of how the Lord has done this in Paul's life, using people and circumstances around him. And as we are to imitate Paul, as Paul imitated Christ, let us use him as our example. And so, point A here, I'd like to say that comfort and joy came through a loyal and trustworthy friend. We see that in verse 13. You know, it's a true statement that acquaintances are many, but real friends are few, right? Very true. A loyal friend who loves the Lord, a co-worker in God's mission, is invaluable. Invaluable for our comfort and joy and Titus the man was such a friend to the Apostle Paul. Think about this. Titus had never ever Prior his visit, met the Corinthians, those believers down there. He had no personal dealings with them, like both Paul and Timothy had. To the Corinthians, Titus was a complete stranger, an outsider whom they did not know. And to top it all off, he was a Greek. Galatians 2 and 3 tells us that. And so we might say that sending the Titus down there, wow, was a recipe for disaster. And why did Paul choose Titus? Well, he chose Titus to be his representative, to carry the severe letter there and to pass on to the believers at Corinth Paul's heartfelt concerns and his longings for them. And no doubt there were some good words of admonishment there as well. And Titus was the man that Paul chose to do that. He chose Titus, a trusted, loyal co-worker and a friend in the ministry. And having such a friend in and of itself is comforting and brings joy, folks, it really does. They will be few, 
They will be few. But we need to treasure such friends from the Lord. And we need to work at such friendships as, you know what, it does not happen and they do not happen by themselves. But look at how important it was, is, it was to, uh, in this journey of joy, can we say, that brought Paul comfort and joy. This is really important. You see, the Corinthian church in general, upon receiving and hearing Titus read out Paul's letter, they turned from their disloyalty and rebellion. Just imagine going down there and rocking up to maybe a Sunday church service or maybe call a special members meeting or whatever and Titus stands up and says, I am sent from Paul, I'm a friend of his. And he's got a letter here that I would like to read and I have something to pass on. It took some courage, right? This is what Titus did. And so they turned from their disloyalty and rebellion Obviously they were convicted of the Holy Spirit which we'll touch on soon. They genuinely repented as Titus communicated Paul's heartfelt feelings for them as his children in the faith and his longing for them were read out. They turned. And so here we have it. From Paul via Titus the Corinthians were encouraged they repented which in return comforted Titus and then finally comforted the apostle as well, as we have in verse 13. You see the circle? That's how the ministry of comfort and encouragement works amongst the Lord's people. It's a reciprocal ministry. It's a reciprocal ministry. It's a bit like, you know, at times, and no doubt you would have visited someone in hospital, maybe they're very sick, and I have visited people who are dying, and uh, there's medically... No way out for them. They're days away from dying, some of them. And you go in there with the idea of maybe praying with them and opening the scriptures with them, which is right and correct, and reading them if, as long as they're lucid and they're going to hear. And maybe even singing them or singing a hymn with them or whatever. With the whole idea of encouraging and comforting. You know what it's like? You've, I presume you've done that sometimes. But what happens often is you leave that bedside and you get in your car and, and with tears of emotion but they are joy because that sick person on his way to death's door has comforted and encouraged you more than you comforted and encouraged them. You see, comfort and joy is a reciprocal thing. And this is what happened with Titus. He went to the Corinthians to pass on to them Paul's admonishment, his hopes and spiritual advice. No doubt Titus went in there with fear and trembling. I'm sure I would. Not knowing, etc. You know, would they reject me, the Hippolytus would be saying? Would they rubbish my attempt to speak on Paul's behalf, he would be saying? How is it all going to work out for them? They, they may have been physically abused. But please know, little did Titus know that the Holy Spirit went before him. Because we see that when Titus arrived, how did the Corinthians receive him? We see this in verse 15. They received him, it says there, with fear and trembling. So the Holy Spirit obviously had gone before Titus and paved the way and, and, and brought about a change of attitude and, 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 and uh, responsiveness towards him. You see, their road to repentance and restoration was already in place before Titus got there. 
And so when the man walked in through the door and got up the front, they were in fear and trembled because they knew they were wrong and what this man said was going to be right. And so Titus obviously was ecstatic with joy. He was ecstatic with joy over the encouragement their, their, their repentance had given him. But there was one person that he must share this with. He wasn't going to lock that up and keep it all himself and do a little dance in his room that night. No, no. He as quickly as hightailed it back to Macedonia. I can imagine Titus going all the way back to Macedonia with a grin from ear to ear. And there he rejoined Paul. He was a man he wanted to share it with. Titus passed on the joy, folks. You get that? He passed on the joy. His joy became Paul's joy. You see, folks, a heart that is full of joy, it overflows, right? It overflows. It cannot help but be contagious. It affects others. The spirit of Titus, his mind, his heart, his mood had been refreshed by the Corinthians and the joy of seeing the spiritual turnaround by the Corinthians right before his eyes would not leave his memory. It exhilarated him. And it was so observable that Paul was swept up in his friend's overflowing exuberance. He rejoiced even much more because of the joy of Titus. Joy is contagious. It is a ministry of the Lord communicated by a friend. I wonder if your joy, I wonder if my joy, I wonder if our joy in the Lord, our joy over spiritual victories, our joy over answered prayer, a joy over just being able to fellowship with saints like we are this morning. Our joy over understanding some truth that has not been clear prior. Our joy over our spiritual status of being in Christ. Our joy of being in the family of God. I wonder if our joy spills over to one another as it really should. I wonder. I wonder if it's like a fountain in the marketplace for all to see. Is it? May we minister more to one another with contagious joy from overflowing hearts. Of course, when joy takes over our state of mind, it results in expressions of joy, as we have just discussed, you know. Nothing worse than a person who has every reason to be joyful, as all Christian, every truly born-again believer, has reason to be joyful, right? Do I hear an amen on that? Amen. Nothing worse than someone who has every reason to be joyful, not being joyful. They're as glum as a wet weekend. Real joy is really silent. Real joy is really silent because that's how God created joy to be. You get the picture? So you can put yourself on that melancholy, whatever structure you like. A Christian who has had a heart change and a right relationship restored with God, in for that alone, will be joyful. Now, okay, some will be able to express that joy more than others, but there's no reason not to be joyful. You know that even the angels rejoice in heaven? Scripture tells us that in Luke 15. 
The angels rejoice before God in heaven over one soul that is saved. Get a load of that. I wonder what that looks like. I wonder what it sounds like. I wonder what it sounds like as it spills over in the mighty arena of God's throne room. Ever thought about that? Angels rejoicing over one single soul that's saved. What does your joy look like? What does our joy look like? What does my joy look like? Or, or maybe it's stifled because we've got nothing really to be joyful about. If you're not a Christian, you're not a truly born-again believer. Honestly, and I say this reverently, honest to God, you have nothing to be joyful about. All that you can be joyful about is temporary things like maybe the wage packet at the end of the week or the holiday that you'll experience or maybe the family that you have. Very temporary things. You have got no fulfilment and joy that has eternal consequences and eternal depth if you're outside of Christ. But even as believers, I think we stifle that joy, don't we? Some of us do sometimes, believe you me, and I'm guilty as you, we look like glum, wet weekends. Because we allow the circumstances of life to plunge us into all sorts of despair. True, and some of that despair and, uh, is worse for others. And God calls and arranges circumstances that some of us will be pulled into trials and testing greater than others. But he also provides the wherewithal, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, to lift us out of the valleys, folks. That's what's good about the local church. He also provides one another. When was the last time you went and encouraged one another, someone with, with some joy? Maybe we stifle our joy because we feel the need to restrict our expression of joy. This is very real. For example, in our evangelistic climate, Expressing joy in the Lord is, is abused and counterfeited in many Christian circles these days. You see some of them on YouTube, they look like crazy houses. And so we all know that there is a vast difference between a fleshly, emotional hype and genuine joy in the Lord, right? We all know that there's a difference between that. But sadly, much of this counterfeit hype and emotional frenzy has restricted us in our genuine expression of joy. Restricted us. And that, I guess, wisely, I can say, maybe suggest, we, we hold back because we do not wish to be tagged with this worldly hype and enthusiasm, and so we restrict. Have a think about that. Come and let me know your thoughts about it after. All I know is there'll be no stifled joy in heaven, folks. And I'm really hanging out to find out what the angels rejoicing sounds like and looks like in heaven before God in his throne room. Now, the Old Testament saints obviously never had this problem. You realise that? They never had the issue that we have in our modern day of reasons for restricting joy. Hi, the Psalms, they're full of different ways of joy being expressed. There was music, there was shouting, there was singing, there was dancing, there was praying, there was clapping. Psalm 35 verse 27 says, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. 
Just another one, for example, Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And I hear people saying, oh, the singing or the music is too loud. I thought, oh, well, get used to it. Heaven's going to be, heaven's going to be louder. Well, here in verses 14 to 15, Paul's joy flows over and expresses itself. Paul doesn't, by the way, express his joy with clapping and dancing and and singing here. He probably could have done that other times, but not here. And so there is different times for joy to be expressed in different ways. But what he does here is he praises the spiritual actions of the Corinthians You see, his mournful lament was turned to praise. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. His expression of joy was not going to be held in check on this one. No way, Jose. His joy overflowed and in verbal praise toward the people of God that God had placed around him. Allow me a little bit of liberty here to paraphrase verses 14 and 15. Okay? Because this is Paul's expression of joy. Here we go. This is Paul with Titus standing before him. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! I so bragged about you, Titus. Before he came down to Corinth, I prophesied, I predicted, hopefully predicted, that what has happened has happened. I knew that God's saving work in you would prove itself. Praise the Lord, I have not been shamed out over all this, but rather my bragging about you, Titus, has become truth witnessed by you yourself. But what also fills my heart with joy is that you have so won the... Here's a word that you would have heard recently. You have so won the splachna. What that means is you have so won the deep affections of Titus through your obedient repentance and the way you received him. Do you hear that, Corinthians? You have so won Titus. You received him, Corinthians, as one who was sent from God and what he observed happen among you, that is never going to fade from Titus's memory. Paul was fully pumped as he wrote back to the Corinthians about the joy he had toward them. He praised them to the max for their spiritual actions and spiritual response. This is how Paul expressed his joy. He praised the people for their righteous response toward God. He wasn't going to play the hard man and and not let it flow. No way. He sent his expressions of joy all the way back to those who had originally been disloyal and rebellious but were now repentant. Most would say, most would say, by the way, oh, they don't deserve nothing. They're certainly not going to get any accolades from me, that's for sure. Let them stew in their own juice for a while, right? Look what they've done to me. Oh, yeah. Well, we may even respond, respond like angry Jonah. Remember when, when God's grace came upon Nineveh? What was, what was uh, Jonah's response? It certainly wasn't one of joy, was it? I think it's chapter 4, verse 1. He was angry. Jonah was. And Jonah kind of says, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, God, that you would do what you do and show grace and mercy to undeserving people. And that's exactly what you've done to Nineveh. And he was angry. But not Paul. His overflowing comfort and joy reached right back and administered to those who were originally against him. You see, folks, Paul never gave up. 
even on people who were double trouble. He never gave up on them. He never spat them out. He never spat the dummy as if he'd been hurt so much that he couldn't do any more, didn't want to do any more. He never threw them in the too hard basket and says, woe is me, it's not fair, why, why, why? He never had that attitude. He overflowed with joy and he praised the people for their obedience to God through Titus. That's what he did. Now I ask myself and you again, when was the last time you let your joy flow to another believer over what God has done in them or even in yourself? When was the last time that you rejoice with people over something like that? You see, folks, we need to cultivate the ministry of encouraging one another with joy more and more because there is precious little lasting joy in our temporary world today, amen? Precious little. And finally, we just come to verse 16. Comfort and joy through the obedient church. Paul's joy continues to flow like a fountain in that he reaffirms his confidence in these once rebellious, now repentant saints. His confidence in them, get a load of that, his confidence in them had been and was completely restored. Now this word confidence means here, it means to be bold, to be courageous and to be daring. That's what it means here. And that's what Paul does. That's what he steps out and does. He, he, he entrusts himself to the Corinthians and dares to believe they will not fail him again. Now that takes some pluck and courage, right? Usually when most people hurt us or go against us and even though there's been a repentance of forgiveness, we kind of hold them at hands and say, oh, no, no, he burnt me once. I'm not going to trust him again. Not Paul. Not Paul. You see, his joy in the Lord over what had happened to these Corinthians was expressed to the Corinthians and that involved his, his daring courage to entrust himself fully. We might say, is this guy for real? Is this wise? Surely we're better to wait before making such a commitment. This is not the first time either, by the way, that Paul has been confident in the people. We had that mentioned back in verse 4 of chapter 7. It says there he had great confidence in them. This is even before he kind of knew that they had repented and, and was sort of still in the journey. But remember, his confidence was not based in the people in and of themselves. Remember that? His confidence was in the work of God's eternal grace in their lives. His confidence was based on the fact that he saw these people who turned from idols and turned from their way of life and, and were, were gloriously saved when he ministered among them for 18 months. And he knew that the work that God had begun in them would bring it one day to fruition. He knew that and he had great confidence in that. And so therefore he had great confidence in these people. These were God's eternal children, so why should he not be confident in them now? We all have hiccups, right? We all make mistakes. We all have done things, even in our Christian lives, that we have had to repent of. And if we're true to ourselves, even in this last week, what would it be like if everyone knew about that? That wouldn't be very good. And not needed either, by the way. but I wonder how confident we would be in one another if we did know that. Well, Paul knew everything about the Corinthians. Everything. What they said about him, how they felt about him, how they apostatized, how they were being sucked into false teachers and how they were spurning his ministry and how I even call into question the purity of the gospel that they were saved under. He was really hurt and burnt. 
but on their opinions. He dared to trust them fully. Nothing bad. Do we trust people like that who have hurt us and who have repented and asked for our forgiveness? Those who may have harmed us, those who have belittled us, those who have hated us, but now have been restored by God to himself, do we courageously and dare trust them with our everything? That's what Paul did. And we're to imitate him as he imitated Christ. They gave him such comfort and joy. The comfort and joy he received from them and their obedience caused him to verbally reaffirm his confidence in them. Do we do that? I wonder if we do that to people in this church, to one another. When was the last time you encouraged someone with your affirmation of confidence because of what God has done in them? When was the last time we did that? When was the last time you affirmed your trust towards someone upon learning that a right relationship has been restored with God and yourself? A spouse, a friend, another believer, maybe a wayward child. Well, that's what Paul did here. But of course we know it also served another purpose. Paul's confidence in them certainly would have paved the way, was an excellent transition to the next project he wants to share with them. Because this next project he wanted to share with them would not have been a project he shared with them if this repentance had never taken place. And we're going to read about that and learn about that, what that next project is in chapter 8 and 9 where they are called to collect and give for the saints at the Jerusalem church. So it kind of paved the way. You see, folks, Paul was filled with comfort and joy from Titus expressing his overflowing joy and the Corinthians were comforted with Paul's joyful confidence. And as a result of love and joy flowing all the way to the Jerusalem church, we can see that this love and joy thing is very reciprocal. Some of us had the flu last week. Some of us have still got it. And I've still got a bit of a nose. Thank you, Kevin, for giving me that camper. But I say, wow, there's too much love being passed around this church. You know, everyone's packing up and dying with, well, not dying, but uh, uh, getting the flu. And we were in a couple of home groups had to be cancelled because there was just no people to go. Uh, well, on a positive sense, that's what how joy and encouragement and comfort should be. Pass it around. Don't hold it to yourself, folks. Pass it around. Okay. A comfort and joy needs to be passed on. It needs to be expressed. It's a ministry of encouragement that we all need to give and receive. We're going to close with a hymn. I had to pick one with joy in it. So I'm going to ask the musicians to to come forward and we're going to sing Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, God of Glory, Lord of Love. And then I'll close with a benediction.